Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Kasperson. If anyone understands self-reflection, it's Rinda Gupta. She worked at Visa for years, launching popular credit cards. But when she applied for a credit card that she literally had a hand in developing, she was rejected. Today, she is the co-founder and CEO of Sequin Card, a woman-focused debit card helping women build the credit that they deserve. In this episode, we discuss our personal experiences with credit and money talk, the importance of content and education to help demystify the financial system that has hindered women from accessing credit. We also talk through the mainstream credit cards and how they're actually really tailored towards men's spending behavior and the ways that Sequin is changing that by helping women crack that algorithm. Brenda is filled with so much insight and wisdom and is so authentic in sharing her story with us. It is a must listen. I hope you enjoy this episode with Brenda Gupta. Brenda, thank you so much for joining season three of Humans of Fintech. I'm excited to dive in to all of the the things with you and Sequin and everything you've built. So thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. When I was thinking back at your story and all that you've been through, something that stood out and I think where I want to start is really the early association that you had with understanding that money is power, but more so the information of money, not so much like having a lot of it. So I'd love for you to like connect the dots as to how that revelation came about for you in your in your personal experiences. Yeah, as a quick background, I am a first generation immigrant. My family and I moved from India when I was really young. And, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me growing up was watching my parents build allies for themselves and for my brother and I in this country. And finances were such a huge part of that. And one piece that I noticed was the one area where my mom, who really didn't, she didn't feel empowered in was, um, was the financial system. And she felt there were so many gotchas. And she was really afraid that she would make a mistake that could lead to these big consequences. And, you know, looking back, she wasn't wrong. And I think her fear was something that stuck with me and was something that I noticed when, you know, there were financial conversations. That would be the one time where, you know, my mom, who's very spirited and, you know, Mm -hmm. has a lot of opinions, wouldn't really speak up. And she was very self-aware about it. My dad also, you know, tried his best to make her feel confident and empowered. But I think, um, Ultimately, it really was this lack of knowledge where my mom kind of built up her career in a new country and actually had quite a bit of earning power, which, you know, I'm really proud of her for. And, uh, you know, she still didn't really understand how to manage her finances. She didn't understand the right questions to ask. Every time she needed to get on the phone and talk to the bank, she would make sure my dad was there, just give the phone Mm -hmm. to my dad. And I'm saying, mom, this is, you know, your money, you should know. And I think so much of that messaging actually came from her telling me that she was really self-aware, that she didn't feel empowered in the financial system. 
And so for her, you know, obviously having this immigrant values and, um, you know, just understanding that I wanted to be financially independent. And that was something that was really important, but also understanding how the system worked, understanding the inner workings and feeling confident when it came to matters of finances was, you know, really kind of a final frontier in my family that my mom was like, I do not know this. And it's really, really important for you to know as a woman to, you know, be able to kind of move forward in society. And how nice to have for your mom to be that aware or at least get to that conclusion, right? And say, okay, I want better for my daughter. My mom, similarly in a way, but she is an immigrant from the Philippines. And really early on, she instilled in me always to make my own money. She's like, you always want to make your own money. Like you never want to rely on a partner or a husband or whatever it is. And that stuck with me so intensely that I became like so fiercely independent with my finances, almost to her dismay now that I'm an adult, because <laughs> now she's like, how are you doing with your finances? And I'm like, mom, relax. I got it. I got it. So <laughs> you don't need to peek at my bank account, mom. But yeah, it, that early influence is, is huge. So now we grow up, you work in financial services at Visa. And the almost like, this is like an iconic story for you, right? The Where you were rejected by a credit card that you had a hand in building. Wild. You know, it's a story I call upon every day almost, and it doesn't yeah. get any less shocking. Yeah. So with that experience, my mom, and I just want to shout out the moms out there as well, <laughs> you know, especially like immigrant moms. I feel like yeah. they, that level of self-awareness to be like, I realize that I'm lacking something and I really, it's so important for you to be able to go out there. I just look at you and what you're doing and, you know, so much of the genesis of what I'm doing and just want to shout out like our moms. It's it's amazing. But yeah, so, you know, with that, with my mom's voice in my ear of being empowered in finances is so, so critical, especially as a woman, as a minority woman, I decided to work at Visa as my first job. And I was really excited to be there. You know, of course, payments, you know, financial services, very interesting. But ultimately, it really was kind of something at my core that I said, what better place to learn about finances and the financial system than actually building these products? And some of the kind of roles and responsibilities that I had was writing the nationwide rules for how credit products needed to be built. So any Visa credit card that was on the market that was launched within the years that I was working at Visa, I had a hand in talking about how they needed to be designed, what the reward schemes needed to be, who exactly this was targeted towards. And I felt I knew because I was designing these products and making sure that others were were adhering to these rules. And, um, you know, a project that I was really excited to be working on was the launch of the Chase Sapphire Reserve, which is a kind of premium card product geared towards young millennials who are living in urban cities. And I said, that's me, right? I was living in San Francisco, really privileged to have a job that was paying well. And, you know, I went to apply for this product that I had helped design and I got rejected when I was at work. What is like the immediate feeling that swept over you? Was it just dread? Embar like, well, how did it, how does that feel in that moment? 
you know, a lot of kind of the, I guess, differences that I saw in myself, right? I looked around and I loved my teammates and they've been such supporters, but I didn't look like any of them, right? A lot of them identified as men. I was one of the only women on our team. You know, a lot of them were much older, had a lot more experience in in financial services, you know, very few identified as minorities. And I think I was the only one who was in the intersection of all of those. So there was always a part of me that felt a little imposter syndrome, right? You know, I'm here. I don't look like the rest of the people here. I don't have as much experience. Like an outsider. Exactly. Maybe I don't deserve to be here. And what better feeding of that fear than being rejected from the product (laughs) that you helped to build? You know, maybe I fooled my teammates, but here we are. Very quickly, I started to talk that fear down. And I said, no, I've spent many years here doing this. I am the expert. I get it. What I didn't realize was I did not understand how to build credit and manage my finances. And it's not that I was in debt. I was fortunate to not have that. But most of my activity and financial activity until that point had been related to my dad's finances. I was an authorized user on his credit card, which he had put me on to help me build credit. Little did I know that being an authorized user isn't building your credit as effectively. So I didn't really have credit history in my own name. And when I was managing my finances, a lot of it was on products that weren't building credit. And I just had no idea I didn't know how to build credit. Once I got rejected from the credit card application, I also didn't know why I had gotten rejected. And the way I've described this feeling that I think is accurate is it felt like a very important test that no one had taught me how to study for. And so had I known, I would have been building my credit. I would have had a secured card in my own name. I would have been working towards the lessons that you need to pass in order to get to that point. And I hadn't been because I didn't know. And then, yeah, you get rejected and that affects your credit score. So it's this chicken and egg where you don't really have credit. Then you apply for a product, you get rejected. That affects your credit negatively. And then you're even worse off from where you started. And for me, it just all kind of spiraled into this cyclical issue where how do you start building credit How do you get access to knowledge? I was never taught in school. My parents, again, first-generation immigrants, tried their very, very best. Mm -hmm. um, But at a certain point, they were affected by a lack of knowledge. And and then I started learning a lot about who the system was designed for and who it actively wasn't, which I guess will be a next conversation, and started realizing that the financial services industry as a whole was never designed with women in mind was never designed with minorities in mind. And so, of course, there are these downstream impacts. um, And I just became really obsessed with understanding what the problem was because I learned that it wasn't me. (laughs) That is the story that needs to be heard like time and time and again by as many people, especially women and minorities as possible, because how many times, you know, does this happen? You're sharing your story and thank goodness and you're putting yourself out there and you like spiraled into this like I have to learn what's going on there's so much that happens in life that we're 
we think we are the problem. And until you go in, you know, you have to educate yourself because no one else does. Right. And to find out, okay, I'm not the problem. There's like a very, a lot of structural hurdles out there that are the problem. And it's so interesting for you to experience that in particular, especially as you were like attached to your dad's account. Cause it's very reminiscent of like women needing to be attached to a husband's account or like a male account of any kind up until 1974. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, we're talking about the fair credit opportunity act in case you don't know. Um, but yeah, so like that's, did you know about that? Like fair credit opportunity act when that happened to you in that moment or were you like diving into the, the research and then you're like, Oh crap. This is what happened to me. I had no idea. So I think that was another really interesting exploration where as I started to look at, okay, what is going on? If I am not the problem, then what is the problem? And um, there were a few facts that I learned that were really disturbing. So the first was I had no idea that women could be rejected from credit without a male cosigner until 1974. And RBG's work changed that. By the way, that's also true of bank accounts. The other piece that I learned was women could be required to have a male male cosigner be rejected from a business loan until 1988. And that's actually just two years before I was born. So I think about these things as ancient history, but it's really not. And even during the pandemic, there were a lot of inequities with women and minorities being rejected or not getting access to PPP loans for their business. And, And so it's all of these legacy ways that this industry's worked that still continue to affect us today. The other piece that I learned was that banks are spending 13 times advertising to men than they are to women. And only 1% of women's content is financially related at all. And so now I'm thinking, well, where are we supposed to learn this stuff? Because we're not taught in school. I also learned that by the time we reach high school, boys are twice as likely to have received a lesson on finances and credit than girls are. And so it starts early. You're not talking about these things. You're not learning about them. You're not taught in school. And then when you are in the world, you're not really being targeted and talked to. And when you are targeted, it's these like guys who all look the same and no one really looks like you. Well, and when you see no one looking like you, you don't feel the connection to actually want to learn all the time, right? Um, this is why like, I advocate so much for the decision makers and the leaders and the, the spokespersons of fintech companies need to be, and the founders receiving VC money, need to be diverse. They need to be women. They need to be brown women. Like it, Because until more little girls see women like us or people like us in leadership roles, how are we supposed to expect them to want to use these products, especially when financial products were, as you said, right, a a complete system designed by men for men. And unfortunately, even today in 2022, there is some weird extension of that narrative that um, is so hard to unwind where content and education isn't even catered to women, half the population, majority of the buying power, women outlive men statistically and have to manage finances for longer like it doesn't make any sense when you look at the the research and the data out there 
So the to me, like the clear hurdle is are is that is those biases, whether they're like unconscious or not. The amount of times I, I hear, you know, women founders say that they will pitch like a very women centric idea and money managers don't know what why. They're just like, but a product just for women? But why? It's really interesting. Uh, you know, I our company is VC funded and I've gone through that process. And you know, whenever I hear that, I always take it as a very interesting moment to educate because yeah. this isn't kind of an underground movement that no one knows about. Oliver Wyman, McKinsey, they all say that women and finances are the single largest underserved opportunity pretty much that you can go after. And they call it a four trillion dollar opportunity. Exactly. It's huge. And, you know, I was having an interesting conversation where even though this is a huge opportunity, so much of the biases and the way that the system was made is also affecting the number of people who identify with this opportunity and can go after this opportunity, right? Because this industry was not designed with minorities, with women in mind. And so there aren't as many women in fintech as compared to there are, you know, other folks in fintech. And so the people who are able to go after opportunities are the ones who usually are coming from within a system. And that's by no means a requirement. But if there's not education and you yourself don't feel confident in something, then how are you going to go? And it just makes it a lot harder to go in and disrupt a system. Um, and so I think all these impacts are, they just keep on compounding on each other in that this wasn't, the industry wasn't designed with these populations in mind. So fewer of people who identify with these populations are working within that industry. And it's a bit harder to go out there and disrupt it. I mean, it is a huge, huge opportunity. And it's, um, it's complicated as well. It's really steeped into many different issues. It's not just, okay, I'm, I'm targeting women. What does that mean? What are women's needs? What are lifestyles? What are some of those hidden costs? Yes, we are living longer, but there are other pieces like the pink tax is real, that you know, healthcare is real. Stepping away from a career for a bit to be a caretaker is real. Student debt is real, right? Where does all of that factor into the way we're thinking about finances. It's it's not today. It's so steeped into everything, even culture. So like when Apple, take like a big tech company like Apple, when they opened their massive like 12,000 square foot or whatever it was, um, headquarters back in, uh, I think it was 2017 when they opened this, which is also that really crazy. Right. So- they opened this massive facility. They created a two-story yoga studio, a multiple cafes, like seven cafes or something crazy, meant to ha like home, be the home, the work home to all the like all these employees. But they did not have a single childcare center. That's like everything you just said is what makes me think of that. You mm -hmm. know, even in the workplace. So then you like couple that with a lack of education and finance. I think what happens is like one women can get like not only can they get like analysis paralysis if they were to go look into all the options, but they could also like when you get overwhelmed with something, you tend to just avoid it. Or if you don't know about something, you just avoid it. So, yeah, I mean, especially something with huge consequences like your finances and the financial system. But yeah, there's a great book that uh, maybe you've read. It's called Invisible Women. Have you heard of it? I have. I have not read it. 
Yeah, it's great. So essentially, it talks about how most systems in society have been designed with what with men in mind. And what are the downstream impacts of that to women? And so, you know, what you're talking about with, you know, the way corporate headquarters are created, that's definitely, you know, aligned with what she's talking about. But, you know, she's talking about drug trials and the fact that those are mostly designed with with men in mind. And so women have more side effects when it comes to um, healthcare and pharmaceuticals. Uh, She also talks about the fact that the airbags in cars are designed with male bodies. And so women were more likely to have fatal car accidents. And then when these companies that were running the tests were called out, they just shrunk the male mannequins, not thinking about the fact that women have different proportions. So impact hits us differently and it didn't really solve the problem. So I'm reading this book. It's very, it's um, incredible, very research focused, so very dense. And I'm just thinking, you know, no one... Now there are a few folks, you're talking about it, I'm talking about it. There are like some amazing women, you know, financial influencers who are talking about it. But I do think finances is another frontier that we really need to pick apart to say, how were these products constructed? How is access? What does that mean? How even are the rewards constructed, right? How is education being created to meet or not meet your lifestyle? So yeah, I think there's definitely a bit more awareness coming out about this. But yeah, it steeps into every aspect of of our society. And we need more than just one, right? Like, Elvis is amazing, but it is like we cannot only have one banking app that is catered to, especially that content, that education, right? Removing the fear. Uh, I love that on this podcast, I interview so many female founders that are focused on this because why shouldn't there be as many products out there catered towards women as there are men, right? Or especially considering that the traditional stuff is catered, as you said, it was 13 times, right? Advertising or like your content is like 13 times more catered to to men than it is women. So when it comes to sequin and some of the work that you are doing, what about it makes you like ultra proud to say, hey, like this is resonating with women. Like when do you kind of feel those moments of, all right, I'm the change maker. You know, we've talked so much about education here, and that's really what it comes down to. One of the pieces that I noticed was, you know, there is Alavash shot a shout out to them, right? Talking about the investment gap. And then there are other topics around general finances and, you know, having a savings account and emergency fund and all of those pieces. But I do think there's a huge gap with credit. Everything about it, whether it's building credit, why do you need credit, myths around credit, what are the best credit products for me? Yes, that is out there, but it's not really taking into account the way that women are spending versus the way that men are spending. And we're spending more in fundamentally different categories because we are managing households and we do have differentiated needs, as we've talked about. And so I love putting out there content around how does approaching credit and your finances differ because of all of these hidden costs to being a woman? What do you need to think about more? How does the gender wage gap affect how your credit might be being calculated? And what are the different ways that you can kind of hack the system that you know ultimately is reflecting our societal biases within these algorithms, despite 
it being illegal for that to happen. And it's not saying, you know, if woman then in the way that it was, but it is reflecting, again, the gender wage gap and all these hidden costs to being a woman. So I love being out there and just educating. And I think also credit and finances are so personal. And I think that's something that is glossed over many times. So, you know, to answer your questions, the time where this feels the most gratifying is just talking to women and them saying, you know, because I learned this, I'm building up my credit and I can leave a bad relationship. Because of, you know, the knowledge that I have here, I'm able to save tens of thousands of dollars on a loan to reach a life goal that I have to buy my own practice to be a psychologist. And those are the things that make me just, it feels so worth it. Because again, going to the beginning of the story, it really started off with my mom saying, this is a generational, you need to break it right? This is, a, this is something that can be passed on in a really negative way. And I need you to feel confident. And now, I mean, I'm, I'm still learning every day, but at least the knowledge that I have that I know is credible, I can share with women around me. And I think just meet them a bit more where they are in terms of their lives, because that's the life that I'm living as well. So that's what feels really, really gratifying. Sometimes I think about how like, so the work you do in, with content and then the work like I do with content, if we can just like keep growing, just like the community of like badass women in fintech that are on this mission, then like, man, it it feels like we, right, we're following in those footsteps of an RBG, like we're following in the footsteps of, of you know, of a Sally Crotchick or all the women before us that have, have paved these pathways. And it really does take like us having these dialogues together, but like the work you're doing with real education, like coupled with an elevation, like the work I do of elevating those stories and getting them out there and you know, catering to that, that diverse audience that is so hungry to learn and, and have women centric and people of color centric stories in the finance world be told. It gives me hope, right? It gives me a lot of aspiration because what else is there? Like people often ask me like, how am I not just like so cynical? And it's like, cause I don't know, as Gloria Steinem says, uh, social revolutions are meant to be fun. So we might as well like get together and have a little fun and, and laugh, but like change this thing together. So sure. that's what also gets me excited. Two things that make me feel optimistic every day are just talking to women who are just so hungry and excited to learn. And I think there is this shift in society now where, first of all, women for the first time in history have the most spending power of any demographic ever, and that is the fastest growing. And with that is coming, okay, I need to understand how to manage this. I need to be empowered mm -hmm. in this area. And so I think just speaking to so many women who are like, yeah, I'm going to take a stand. I want to learn. I want to understand. To me, I just say like, that is a revolution, right? That's different from yeah. you know the way it was before, and I think that's incredible. Yeah. And um, and the second piece I think is also this interaction between education and then also having financial tools to be able to practice. And one thing that I think is really interesting was a study that I heard about the way that adult learning is different from childhood learning. And as you're an adult, you really learn by doing. 
And so one piece that I'm really excited about with Sequin is we have our Sequin University with a, it's pretty much everything you should have learned about finances and credit. Um, growing I want to go to Sequin University. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really, yeah. Um, yeah, very community-based, lots of great education. But we're also, um, in the next few months, launching a debit card that has partnerships with a bunch of women-founded and focused brands. And so nice. you can actually fight against some of the pink tax by supporting these entrepreneurs who are building in spaces, again, that, you know, are targeting women, but designed by men. And so, you know, just being able to take a stand with some of those products um, and having that influence between the two, I think is really, really exciting yeah. also. You know, you're seeing a lot of that that cropping up around. So yeah, like women are ruling the world, minorities and women, like watch out. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, and how cool is it? How cool is it to like be in a place where community is able to fuel all this type of change where work that you're doing and sequin and having like sequin university, which I clearly need, I need to go get my, my sequin university diploma. Uh, so I can <laughs> learn about the tricks and like the, yeah, like the, how to, how to trick the algorithm. You know, we do it with social media. I should do it with my credit card and, and all mm-hmm. that good stuff too. But how cool is it? Like, I feel like before there wasn't as much tie into the values of who we are with, money in finance and thanks mm-hmm. it's for me what's super exciting about fintech is fintech provides this opportunity to tie in your values with the way that you decide to ma- not only manage your money but you know spend it or invest it and in, in all the ways that that you set so like that's that's the key and that's why like mm-hmm. the community building the content and then obviously like the product itself is all of those things tied together is like Chef's kiss. That's <laughs> Chef's kiss. Yeah. Yeah. Plus education. Yeah. Content that's like fun and educational. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. And then we'll have a place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it comes down to being able to make choices for yourself. And I think that that comes with having education and having the knowledge. And so I think, again, going back to kind of our theme of education, that knowledge really is power and money is power. And so, you know, if you think about all of these things together, I think just having that knowledge is is really key to just being able to make the right choice for you, judgment free. And I think also as it comes to community, a lot of the way that our society has become has been very individualistic. And so as, you know, we've been building our Sequin University, a lot of what we hear from women is, you know, this is really personal and pretty intense. And I would love to do this with a like-minded community around me. So being able to make finances feel communal, which by the way, in other countries and even places in the US, um, especially with women, we do have small communities where, you know, there's a bit of lending that goes on within the groups or just finances were a lot more communal um, and not as, as individualistic. So I think moving towards a more kind of community focused approach. And I think the values piece plays into that really nicely. Oh gosh. So well said, Brenda, this is amazing. The work you're doing is so crucial and I'm so happy to have you officially a part of the, what the FinTech and humans of FinTech family with this, with this recording. I have to ask one of my favorite questions, which is, and we've talked a lot about it a lot but to, to close us out, if we need to be the change that we wish to see in the world, what change do you want to see in fintech and how will you embody it? 
I think ultimately the most important thing is feeling confident and feeling empowered in your finances. And I always like to give these quick tips. One is make sure you are building credit in your own name. And the second thing, if you have a credit card, pay it off every week. And that's a great hack for women to make sure some of the factors that go into your credit score stay low and stay that factor stays low, which keeps your credit score high. So yeah, just feel feel confident, be out there, learn as much as you can, and um, just find communities of women. Be talking about finances at dinner the same way you talk about other topics and just support one another. Exactly. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining and for sharing all of this wisdom. If our friends listening want to sign up for a sequent university, which I want to know how to do that if they want yeah. to get involved with your work, how can they reach you and make that happen? Yeah. So the best way is to go to sequencart.com and you can drop your email in there. We are, you know, kind of testing out a closed community right now to make sure that everything is ready for a bigger launch in a few months, but we would love to have the listeners here be a part of our beta test. So yeah, sequencard.com is a great place for us to get your email um, and we can be in touch and you can follow us on social on Instagram. We're at sequin underscore card. So we'll see you there too. Hey, amazing. Thank you so much. This entire, like uh, the full circle of this, you know, getting to know your, your personal experiences, you being, uh, you know, having that conviction to create or to, to learn about the problems out there in, you know, with with finance historically not being femme and then creating your own platform to, to solve this issue. That's that's what it's all about. Right. And then creating community around it to keep elevating others along the way. A leader to admire. Thank you again for for joining us. Thanks, Nicole. So right back at you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message and mission reach more people. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.